Good morning. Our reading today is from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way and the star that they had seen when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warmed in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Friends, uh, it's great to uh, be together this morning and great to have you joining us on live stream. Um, for those who have been praying for my younger brother, Chris, uh, he did have uh, quadruple bypass surgery on Friday after waiting for two weeks in isolation due to a COVID visitor. And so... Um, Please pray for his recovery this week, and uh, who knows, he might get home by Christmas, or maybe not. Friends, uh, Christmas, uh, we say it's a wonderful time of year, and Robin's talked about giving gifts and wrapping gifts, and I'm not very good at that. I'm okay at wrapping, not so good at buying and picking the right gifts. I don't know about you, some of you think, you're just can someone else just please purchase the gifts? Um, although I was out shopping with my wife yesterday, but you know, and indeed it's t-shirt, I'm, I'm good. Just giving you some hints there. Um, there's a uh, story talking about kids. Uh, kids, listen to this one. There were two little boys and they went to their grandparents' place for Christmas. It was bedtime and the youngest one began to pray at the top of his lungs. And sometimes they get exuberant and said, I pray for a new bicycle. I pray really loudly for a new bicycle. I pray for a new bicycle. The older brother then said, why are you shouting? Do you think God is deaf? The little one said, no, no, but grandmother is deaf. And she is listening. Now, it is wonderful, and uh, you have some great stories from kids at Christmas. And um, as I said, I'm not very good at gift giving, uh, but I know I'm not the only one. Uh, and I'll come to that in a moment, but I, I read this story about an optimist and a pessimist at Christmas. 
uh, sort of relate to the holiday of gifts, gifts and what do you want and what are you going to uh, repackage and give to someone else. It, says, it was a family that had twins whose resemblance to each other was their looks. That's all. If one felt hot, the other was too cold. If one said the television was too loud, the other said it needed to be turned up. Opposite in every way, these kids. One was an eternal optimist, and the other one, it was all about doom and gloom. He was a pessimist. And just to see what would happen, at Christmas one day, their father loaded the pessimist room with every imaginable toy and game. The room was full with all these beautiful things. The optimist room, he filled with horse manure. Get the picture. One has everything. That night, the father passed by the pessimist room, found him sitting amidst his new gifts, crying bitterly. The father said, why are you crying? Your room has all these gifts. So, because my friends will be jealous. Now, I have to read all these instructions before I can do anything with the stuff. I'm constantly going to need new batteries, and my toys will eventually get broken, the pessimist said. Then the father passed by the optimist room. And the young boy was dancing for joy in the pile of manure. father said, why are you so happy? Why are you dancing in the manure? And he said, well, there's got to be a pony in there somewhere. <laughs> right? Now, McCrindle Research, an Australian research company, indicates that 83% of Australians have received a gift that they've rejected as a total waste of money. More than a third, or 39%, receiving what they regard as useless gifts most years. Well, that's depressing, isn't it? Have you done your shopping yet? Have you finished your shopping? Are you rethinking your shopping this morning? A third of all respondents either refund gifts or give them away. I mean, we've sorted it out in Australia and the West, don't we? We just put in the receipt as well now. Because we know if it doesn't fit, you go back and try it on and so on. An estimated, a couple of years ago, an estimated 6.4 million presents will be given away, refunded, regifted, or binned, we're told. The problem with the gifts is that you don't always know what reaction you're going to get to that gift. That's why I get stressed. I want people to be happy, don't you? You want them to feel like, yeah, it's, I've got the right size, I've got the right color, I've got, you know, the right style for the person. But friends, about 30 lifetimes ago, in a place called Bethlehem, God gave mankind a wonderful and precious gift. He didn't give gold-class tickets to the latest Marvel movie, Spider-Man. I was going to see that Thursday night. Then, unfortunately, we discovered just before we went to see the movie that my daughter had been at a super spreader event the other day. So we all had to go and get tested. So we missed the movie. So I'll have to get another ticket another time. Or the latest Taylor Swift CD, or a new bike, or perfume, or a bridge climb voucher, and they're all lovely gifts. The latest PlayStation. God did not give us those things, but he gave us, as Robin has reminded us, his own son, born into the world, leaving heaven to come to earth to be our saviour. Our theme for this Christmas season, when hope came down, and we believe that in the coming of Jesus, hope has come into the world. But we notice in today's passage, two reactions to Jesus. Firstly, Herod tried to kill Jesus. 
And so I ask you this morning and ask those watching on live stream or those who have watched later, um, who you like, Herod or the wise men, the Magi? Well, let's look at Herod firstly. We know that he rejected Jesus and he tried to kill him. He lied to the wise men and said in verse 8, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. He's a liar. He wants Jesus dead, doesn't he? He's not interested in worshipping Jesus. Uh, We know at the end of the story, the Magi sneak off without telling Herod where Jesus is. And Herod is furious. Do you know how furious he was? In a fit of rage, Herod attempted to kill baby Jesus by ordering the death of every boy two years and under in Bethlehem. Friends, we've been shaken by the terrible tragedy in Tasmania this week. We just can't imagine jumping castles in the air, kids falling, the trauma on the children, on the teachers, on the first respondents, on their families, on the local churches, the communities. Herod wants every child under two dead. That's the type of person he is. He so hates Jesus, he'll do anything to get rid of him. Because he sees Jesus as a threat to him. See, Jesus, they talk about him being another king. On one hand, Herod says, no, I'm king. I'm in charge. I don't want someone taking my place. When Herod realized, verse 16, uh, he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in, in Bethlehem and in his vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. He wants to wipe him out. But he doesn't understand that Jesus is a different type of king. He's not a king. He doesn't want his, uh, his rule. He doesn't want to knock Herod out of the place. But you see, Herod, uh, we're told, uh, not only was he uh, against Jesus, but he was infamous for his viciousness with which he dealt with his possible rivals. He actually, as we read in history, killed his favorite wife. I don't know what he did with the unfavorite wives, right? He killed his favorite wife and two of his own sons as a safeguard to holding on to the throne. And suddenly this man, vicious, kills others to maintain his power and authority, meets three wise men or three magi, or magi, not told exactly how many there were, and we want to see a newborn king. And he goes, what, a king? Well, you mean there's another king, someone who, would, who is a threat to me? Now, in one sense... Herod is right about Jesus, isn't he? Someone more important than any of us was born that first Christmas. Because Jesus is the Son of God. Didn't really get it, wanted to kill him. But we know that he was God's son. Herod wanted first place. He didn't want to get pushed apart aside by Jesus. When I think about Australians today, it's pretty much the way it is, isn't it? We don't like anyone telling us how to run our lives and do what we do with our lives. It's my life, I'll do what I like. I'll wear a mask if I want. I won't wear a mask if I don't like. I'll protest if I do. Uh, whatever it is, we don't like being told what to do, when to do it. We need to uh, be humble enough to realize that Jesus is God's King. I love the story told uh, by the late John Chapman. Many of you have heard John Chapman preach in the past. A great Aussie preacher, beautiful sense of humor. And they took the Bible and just brought it to life in his humor. It tells the story of one occasion that I've shared before when he was... He met one, a member of the House of Lords in the UK. 
invited to lunch at the parliamentary dining room. Imagine the Aussie larrikin preacher, great sense of humour, going into the parliamentary dining room. John said it was a strange feeling walking into the Houses of Parliament, greeted at the door, directed to a waiting room, where his friend, the Lord, they were called Lords there, met him. Before lunch, John was given a guided tour of the Parliament. And his friends showed him the chamber and pointed out the seat where the Queen sits when she is in Parliament, right? That's the seat. That's the throne, right? It was a good few steps higher than any other seat in the room. He was in a prominent position for an important person, he says. And John thought, he said to his friend, how about I go and sit in that seat and you take my photo? Right? His friend almost had a heart attack, he says. John, John, no, you mustn't do that. There is only one person who can sit on that seat. And John said, it was presumptuous of me to think that I could go and sit and to see that only the Queen of England was permitted to sit. That seat was for one person. You couldn't pretend. You couldn't take your photograph up there. It was for the Queen. It says, and then he says, I have a feeling that uh, people do the same thing to King Jesus. He was king of, the, of this world. The only way to respond to him is this, to accept him as king and saviour, to acknowledge him in our lives. But we don't do that. We don't like being told to submit to another king. We like to do our own things. You know, a few years ago, I was talking to a friend, and like many of you have studied the Bible, and he was researching Christianity. He was what we might call someone seeking the truth. And uh, we did some Bible studies together, and uh, at one point, uh, he was so convinced by the evidence we've given him that Jesus was God's son, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again. And, we, and he said, well, you've convinced me. I'm convinced by the evidence that Jesus Christ not only died on a cross, but rose from the dead. I said, I believe it's true. I said, and that's great news. So will you now receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Will you turn from your sins and receive him into your life? He said, no. I said, what do you mean, no? You just told me that he is God's son. You believe he's God's son. You believe he died. You believe you rose from the dead. Why wouldn't you receive him? He said, because I don't want anyone telling me how to live my life. There's this terrible streak of independence in us. Start in the Garden of Eden where we say, God will do it my way, and it continues today. In most Australians, uh, they reject, or I guess for most people, ignore Jesus. They don't try to kill him, although some try to, to get him out of the public sphere. But they crowd him out, or he's crowded out by money and work and sport and gifts and food and holidays and family and carols events. Someone in this building was telling me last week, and uh, it said, I just prefer Christmas to be like Easter. Instead of all these nonsense and gifts, and for, you go on for a month, we remember his wonderful death for us, we remember his powerful resurrection, and on this day we remember his birth. Because he's true in one sense, because Jesus gets crowded out by all the lunches, all the dinners, all the decorations, all the Christmas trees, all the gifts. Sometimes he gets crowded out. And I know what he's getting at. Friends, uh, one of the things that Herod hadn't understood about Jesus, though, is that he wasn't a political opponent. He'd come to serve us and to save us. Let me take you to Matthew chapter 1. She, Mary, will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. 
He didn't come to bear arms. He didn't come to get guns to start shooting people. No, he came to bear our sins and to be a great saviour. You give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Friends, that's a great truth. And you know, I think back to when I came to faith in Jesus Christ. I was 15. Uh, for about uh, two years, I've been reading the Bible, studying it in a youth group, and uh, from a Greek Orthodox background who never had a Bible in his home. Our family had no Bibles in our place. No one read the Bible. No one went to church except for me. And I got to this group. We started to read the message of Jesus. And I realized, even though I knew that Jesus was born as a baby and I knew that Jesus died on a cross and I'd been to services, but it never clicked until I read the Bible and came to understand that Jesus died for me. I was lost. I didn't have a hope in the world. Hope came down from heaven for me. I remember one Friday night when a group of about 10 young people at this little youth group in a school classroom in Marrickville and I thought, tonight I'm going to ask Jesus into my life. And as quiet as anything, and we, we, the fellow taught us to pray, and someone prayed you know, for their sick brother, and someone prayed that we would, you know, life would be better. And then I, and I just started to pray, Lord Jesus, tonight I want to thank you that you love me and you died for me on a cross. I acknowledge that I believe in you today. And I thank you that you rose from the dead and promised me eternal life. From today, I want to be one of your followers. Simple prayer. Friends, at that point, I was forgiven by God. At that point, the Holy Spirit was poured in, into my life. I received the Holy Spirit. As a young 15-year-old kid who didn't know very much, God transformed my life. He can transform yours as well, no matter what age you are. Friends, I need to ask today whether we might be a little bit like Herod, not as vicious as him, but pushing Jesus out of the way, letting other things crowd Jesus out of the picture. Can I encourage you not to be like Herod, but rather to be like the Magi who come to worship Jesus. That's a far better way. Now, we sing the hymns that we three kings from Orient are, and we do know that uh, they're astrologers probably or ambassadors from Babylon. Not quite sure what these kings were or who they were, uh, we do know that they were probably not at the nativity scene. So those cards where you have the nativity scene, that's not quite true. We're told they arrive later. Remember, Jesus is in a house later. On coming to the house, they saw the child with, with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. So they come a little bit later. Jesus is in a house. And uh, for some reason, God has impressed upon them to follow this star to this house. In a miracle of God, they arrive to worship him. And uh, where Herod sees Jesus as a rival king to be wiped out, the Magi see Jesus as their rival king to be worshipped. That's a big difference, isn't it? Whereas Herod, Herod goes to great time and energy and expense and inconvenience to try and find Jesus as to kill him, the Magi go to great time and energy and expense and inconvenience to find Jesus as to honour him. And Matthew wants us, wants us to see the two responses and say, follow the Magi. Worship him this Christmas. Fall on your knees before him. Read your Bibles. Pray to him. Give him thanks for all that he is and all that he's done for you. When you give gifts, remember that God gave you the greatest gift. When you eat meals, remember that God has blessed you with the freedom to eat. Worship him. 
But let me say that, notice, I want you to notice the fact that these guys, the Magi, worship Jesus, worshiping Jesus, one of the most unexpected parts of the Christmas story. Jesus comes, and you expect the people in Israel to be worshiping him. We have the shepherds worshiping him in a little while. But you have people from outside the Jewish nation, which is a wonderful sign right at the beginning that this Christian message is not simply for the Jewish nation, it's for the nations of the earth. Jesus' fan club, we might say, stretches far beyond the Middle East and it has stretched right across the globe. There are in the world today Greek Christians, Iraqi Christians, Afghani Christians. You can try to kill Christianity in Afghanistan, but there are Afghani Christians. Uh, there are Syrian Christians and English Christians and Lebanese Christians and Jewish Christians and Indonesian Christians and Chinese Christians and Indian Christians and Sudanese Christians and American Christians and, and so on. Wise men come from outside and come to meet Jesus and worship him. And one of the great things today is that people are worshipping Jesus from every nation of the earth. Let me conclude. There's a story about a boy called Wally, told by this uh, storyteller Dick Innes. Dick Innes would often bring little uh, Christian material or gospel literature. And he would tell a story and bring a, a truth out of that. And I found one called No Room in the Inn. No room in the inn. Looking at a response to Jesus when he comes. It says, it's a story now, a legend. Uh, it's told by Wallace, how Wallace Perling, that's the name of this young boy, added a touch to the Christmas play in a small town in the Midwest. It says, he said Wallace was a little bit uh, slow in the learning department. Uh, he was nine at the time. Should have been in fourth grade, but was still in the second grade. In spite of his, some of his difficulties in learning, said he was liked by the other kids in his class, even though he was quite a bit taller and bigger than they were. According to the legend, Wallace fancied being a shepherd with a flute in the Christmas pageant that year, but the director, Miss Lombard, thought he might better fit the role of the innkeeper because the innkeepers go to send Jesus away, right? He said he wouldn't have to remember too many lines and because of his size, he'd be able to present a more forceful refusal to the much smaller Joseph in this story, in this classroom. So the big night comes behind the stage. Wallace is so totally engrossed in the play that uh, Miss Lombard had to make sure he didn't wander on stage before his cue. He's ready, he's eager, ready, when's my go? A bit like me, really, I'm always missing the cues. Uh, then came Wallace's part. Looking exhausted from the long journey, Joseph and Mary approached the entrance to the inn. Joseph knocked. The door opened immediately. Wallace, putting on his gruffiest voice, declared, What do you want? Seek elsewhere, he said. This inn is filled. Oh, we are seeking lodging, Joseph replied. Little Joseph. Big Wallace says, Seek it elsewhere. The inn is filled. Sir, he said, we have asked everywhere, everywhere in vain. We have traveled far and we're weary. There is no room in this inn for you, says Wallace, standing up tall. Little Joseph, please, good innkeeper, this is my wife Mary. She is heavy with child and she needs a place to rest. Surely you must have some small corner for her. She is so tired. For the first time, the innkeeper began to let down his guard and relax a little. There was a long pause and silence. The audience beginning to feel a bit tense. What's going to happen in this uh, pageant? No, he says, be gone. 
Joseph looked at Mary, put his arm around her with his heads bowed. In sadness, they slowly walked away. Poor Joseph and Mary. Big, tall, Wallace. No, you can't come into the inn. But the innkeeper didn't close the door and go inside like he should have. He stood there, mouth open, watching the forlorn couple leaving his inn. He watches them leave. Big Wallace, little Joseph and Mary, disappointed, walking away. Then his eyes are filled with tears. And unexpectedly, departs from his memorized script. Don't go, Joseph. Bring Mary back, he says. Then with a broad grin lighting up his whole face, he spoke out loudly and clearly that everyone in this pageant could hear, you can have my room, he says. He says, some in the audience felt that Wallace had ruined the pageants. Others, however, felt it was the best Christmas pageant they'd ever seen. You can have my room. You're welcome, Jesus. Are you welcoming Jesus today at Christmas? Jesus, come into my life. Be my Lord. Take control. Steer my life. Take control of the steering wheel. You are the Savior of the world. You are God in human flesh. You are hope come down at, at Christmas. I worship you. I fall on my knees before you. You are everything to me. There's nothing greater than you, Jesus. You are the Savior. You are the Redeemer. You are the sacrificial lamb who dies in the place of the world. Welcome, Jesus. You have room in my home. You have room in my heart. Let me pray. Lord God, it is our prayer that this Christmas season we would truly welcome and worship Jesus as God our Savior. As the sacrifice who died on the cross in our place as our beautiful Savior, the one who rose from the dead, the one who reigns today as King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who invites men and women of all nations, of all backgrounds, of all ages, of all experiences to follow him and to find new life in him. Lord, we surrender to you today. We submit to you. We ask that you would be honored, glorified, praised, and the message of your love would be spread widely this Christmas, that many others would invite you into their lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.